You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series with Pastor Daniel Williams called Joy, A Battle of the Mind, a study through the book of Philippians. Glad you're here. And um, if I have not met you, my name is Pastor Daniel Williams and uh, excited to start a new series tonight through the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Uh, Man, we love teaching the Bible here at Redemption Church. One of our values, our distinctives, um, and we've done topical studies like uh, many other churches and many different topics that the Bible addresses, but typically we like to go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I was thinking about Philippians and where we're at as a church, um, because, you know, we've done men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. We started a new ministry where I'm doing about two live devotionals uh, throughout the week. But man, our bread and butter is teaching through the word. And this is our 22nd book of the Bible that we've taught so far in the last eight years. So, you know, I'm getting there. It's going to be the whole Bible someday, but we're just going to keep on going at it because that's how good God's word is and how rich it is. And we need to wrap our minds and our lives around God and his word and the living word. And like Robin said, we are going to be reading this book, Be Joyful. Uh, I'm going to say this again just for the recording and video uh, and just to remind you, just just highlight it again. Uh, These books, uh, they're a little over $10. We'll just give a $10 donation, sign up for community group, and it allows me to do more of an overview. And on Sundays, I'm going to do a chapter each week. And then there's only about three little uh, chapters per chapter, if that makes sense, in this book. So it's not too much. It's something you could handle. I read the whole thing this week. It has study questions. It's going to be a great, and look at this title. Be joyful. Even when things go wrong, you can have joy. How many things have gone wrong in our lives lately? You know what I'm saying? We can still have joy as Christians. And so we need to look at what God's word is. So whether you're comfortable or not, whether you're online, you can go to the Amazon right now, Warren Wearsby, be joyful. You can go along and study with us. We have about 20 books in the back, so I know there's enough for all of us. Um, And feel free, and if you don't have the $10, just take one and it's on me, okay? Uh, Again, sign up for the community groups. We love discipling people. And I, I think this community groups are our primary way of discipleship, like Robin said, just to get to know one another, to pray with one another. And uh, what I'll be doing on Sunday nights is I will try to be using the Warren Wearsby outline, suggested outline that he did, so we can have some continuity between the groups and Sunday night. Um, but I won't be saying everything that he says because the guy's a stallion and you're just going to be blown away and blessed by the content in that book and the Bible study that he has. So, The book of Philippians is a letter that addresses the subject of joy and how we obtain it, how we obtain it. Um, And this small four-chapter book is written by the Apostle Paul, um, and it mentions joy, rejoicing, or gladness at least 19 times. You got four chapters, and it mentions rejoicing, gladness, or be glad, rejoice in the Lord, or you can have joy 19 times. So it's it's a major theme. One commentator said about the book of Philippians, it's Paul's personal manifesto on how to live a life full of joy. I hope that there's something in your spirit right now that's like, I want some of this. The Bible addresses real issues. It's about a real God to real people. And if you're a real person, some breath in your lungs, God could speak and minister to you as we study this book. And I think we all need this formula on how to have joy in this life. And we'll see as we study this book it, this, that Jesus gives us true joy that we desire. Um, and so I want to start our study tonight by doing a big overview of the book. You guys ready for this? 
You're not ready. You don't know what's about to happen. Open your Bibles to Philippians. We're going to read a lot of scripture. And if you do not have a Bible, we always have Bibles in the back. Feel free to grab one. Uh, If you need one right now, raise your hand and someone will give you one. You can go on your smartphone. You could do your own Bible. We're going through the ESV. Uh, And let me just start with this. I want to remind you today, you can have joy in the Lord. You can have joy in the Lord. There is actual joy available in God. God is the happiest person you will ever meet. He loves you. He made the whole thing up. Okay? He actually gives you joy as you love him, as you worship him. As Christians, God has given us, the Bible says, all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3. And joy can be found in Jesus. But too often, we as believers and as people are robbed of our joy because instead of looking to Jesus... We look to circumstances, people, or even possessions and things for fulfillment. And instead of filling our hearts with joy as we look to the Lord, we're looking to these other things and our heart fills with worry, anxiety, stress. Worry, not worship. This is why the Bible exhorts us to look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, or to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, that we would choose to rejoice and choose to focus our attention on someone who can give you something that you need, who is the sustainer of your life. In fact, throughout Philippians, there are 16 different references mentioning the mind. The mind. This would include think. So think about these things or remember or have this mindset. And it teaches us the importance that our thought life matters When it comes to joy and being a Christian, Paul shows us that the secret of the Christian joy is found in the way a believer thinks, his attitude. Or like my dad always told me, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond. Attitude. How's your attitude lately? What are you thinking about? How do you respond to situations? We're going to look at what the Bible tells us how we should respond and the results will be in your life fruit of the Holy Spirit which is joy, which is peace, which is love and strength. You know, people often say outlook determines outcome. Or as Proverbs 23, 7 says, as we think, so we are. And so as a church, we'll be studying this book, and I want us to focus on this mindset on Sunday nights and when we go over these long sections. Sort of ambitious to study the book of Philippians in four weeks but I'm going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. Here's what I want us to focus to be on. How do we train our mind to focus on Jesus? And so I'm calling this series Joy, A Battle of the Mind, because you have this big block of joy and reference and gladness in this book, but you also have, have the mind of Christ. Think, remember, there's something connected to our mind and the spiritual warfare that goes on to the outcome of our lives and how we actually feel to what happens in the physical realm. And we're going to learn these things. And so we must practice having the right mindset to experience joy in our lives. And in these four chapters, Paul describes four attitudes of the mind. Four attitudes of the mind that we are going to take a look, a deep dive into that will produce joy despite our circumstances. Don't you want some of that? Despite what happens at your job or this relationship or what may come down the pipeline, the Bible says you can obtain something from the Lord and have joy. 
Chapter 1, he describes the single mind. The single mind. And you'll get into it. I'm getting this outline from Warren Wiersbe. But the focus is this. Our lives are to have a single focus. That when you have a single mind, not double-minded like James says, but a single mind to give God glory, you will have joy in your life. And you will be able to overcome obstacles in your life when they come because the purpose of your life will be a single purpose to give God glory. That will bring fruit to your life. Chapter 2 deals with a submissive mind. An attitude of, of submissiveness, one that focuses on Christ's example and serves others. So you're submitting to God, but you're loving people and submitting to them and serving them. Jesus said in his words, it's better to give than to receive. And we see him, an example, do that. And so when we walk in the pattern of Jesus, having a submissive mind and attitude, it will bring joy to your life. Chapter 3, it talks about the spiritual mind. What does it mean to have a spiritual mind? Not think carnal thoughts, not earthly thoughts, but heavenly thoughts. We're citizens of heaven, it says in chapter 3, and one that lives for the kingdom of God and focuses on things of heaven, our future, our outcome. Heaven is real, and we're going to be there, worshiping God for all eternity. What does it look like if you had a spiritual mind that had that reality and lived in this life? You will have joy. The Bible says this. Chapter 4 It results in all these three of having a single mind, a submissive mind, a spiritual mind. It's a secure mind. An attitude that doesn't waver, that's secure, that's steady or steadfast, faithful. One that understands we have God's peace, his power, and his provision in our lives. It makes a difference in your life. And when you read the promises of God and apply them to your life, it gives you security and it will bring fruit of joy, peace, and love. And so Paul will teach us that when we have these mindsets or attitudes and live out them, we will have joy. He's writing this to believers to rejoice in the Lord and to look to Jesus. The main theme or verse in Philippians, there could be a lot, but I think it's this. It's Philippians 3, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, finally, my brothers, speaking to Christians, believers, followers of God, rejoice in the Lord. That's it. This is the main theme. Rejoice, choose to rejoice, to praise, to look to the Lord. He says to write the same things to you. Remember, this is a letter to real people. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. It is a good thing and safe for you to follow the ways of the Lord. And it is no problem that Paul would write this letter to us so that we could learn, not only the believers in Philippi, but us today. The letter covers fundamental truths of the gospel, like all of his letters, but there is a focus on rejoicing and a focus on joy. So what I want to do tonight is just give you an overview of the book and use Paul, the Apostle Paul, as a testimony, a personal testimony of these truths, give you some historical background, give you the context of the letter, and look at the letter through the lens of history rather than the subject of the mind, rather than the subject of doctrine. We'll be covering a lot of ground tonight. So buckle up. I think uh, it will be good and it will be worth your time. And we'll read a lot of scripture. You know, sometimes with these epistles, they're so small. uh, Sometimes we'll just read like the entire epistle in one service. Like we've done that before. And I'm about to do half of it tonight. All right. You guys with me? So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, chapter one, chapter one. It's a good place to start. Chapter one, verse one. Let's, Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us the attention we need. God, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, as we cover an overview of Philippians tonight, that even now, 
just hearing about there is possibly joy in you, even when things go wrong, God, that you, by your spirit, will comfort. You are a helper, a comforter in our time of need. We need the Holy Spirit to give us joy. So help us, Spirit. Teach us about Jesus. Give us, Lord, more eternal truths. Your Spirit, God, wrote this, these words, and so help our minds to worship you as we look to your word, as we get excited about you, Lord, and how you satisfy. Satisfy our needs tonight. God, heal those that are sick. Lord, guard the mind right now even as those that are worrying. Fill their minds with peace. Wash them in your word. And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would do a work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 will give us a lot of good context that we'll start from. It says, Paul, Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. So it's to the whole church of Philippi, the leadership, the people, everyone there. He says, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In that, we get a lot of context of who the letter is and who it is written to. Uh, the book of Philippians is known as a prison epistle. Epistle is a, a short letter, and it's a prison epistle because it's written by the Apostle Paul. But in the moment that he is writing this or pinning this letter, he's in prison. Uh, he's written four letters from prison. God had to slow him down, put him in jail so he would do more ministry there. He would do Ephesians. Uh, we've, thought, we've taught through the entire book of Ephesians. You can go online and listen to all of that. Uh, ladies, you're finishing your women's Bible study of Colossians. He wrote that while he was in prison. Uh, Philemon is a very short book. Uh, maybe we'll tackle that again in uh, next year. And then uh, he does Philippians, these four books, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, Philippians. And it's interesting to think about the Apostle Paul writing this in a jail, and the letter is full of joy. Just pause right there and just think about that. We just get the context of how many times it says rejoice, be thankful, think about this, and he's in prison. Now we read in Acts chapter 21 that Paul was falsely accused of breaking the law and it caused a commotion, a big riot. People were upset at him. Uh, Paul used this situation in Acts 21 to share his testimony to preach the gospel. But the crowd, the riot, well, they were following the enemy and they did not repent. They beat Paul. Uh, there was a commotion and Paul told the satyrian guard that he was, to be a, he was a citizen of Rome and to help him. He appeals to Caesar. And so the commotion happens. They want to stone Paul, kill Paul. The guards come up. They put him in prison to protect. And the Lord appears to Paul that night and encourages him. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, the Lord says to Paul, Take courage. Take courage as for you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul had this guarantee or promise from the Lord that he would testify of Jesus in Rome. And this is where Paul is actually writing his letter to the Philippian church. So now, with the help of the government, he goes to Rome that he longs for. We know the history of Paul. When Paul wrote the book of Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 11 through 12, he says, I long to be with you, to impart a spiritual gift, to use my teaching and to preach the gospel and to be in fellowship with you and to get a gift. But Paul would go to Rome, not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. Because the Shatirian guard would guard, uh, escort Paul, and he would actually go be shipwrecked and have this long journey all the way to Acts chapter 27 and 28, testifying of Jesus when he appealed to Caesar. 
Things were not working out as Paul wanted and expected in his life, and yet we see a great impact of Paul while he's writing scripture and he's serving others. Man, wouldn't that be a great attitude that we can have in our life? When things go wrong, we just pour out ourselves more and love people. That is the power of the gospel. But yet, he still teaches about joy. And this should show us really right now the great difference. We're gonna get into it, but the difference between joy and happiness. There's a big difference. Happiness depends on happenstance, our circumstances, the outside things that are happening. If there are good stuff going on, you are happy. If there are bad stuff going on, you are not happy. Okay? Easy. Joy depends on the heart, and it's an inward posture or position that it doesn't matter what's happening, but you can be filled with joy. Happiness is temporary, but joy is a permanent state. And Paul didn't hold back in doing God's will because of the circumstances, because he had joy. Sometimes when we realize that we're not pushing into things of the Lord, maybe we don't have enough joy in our life. Maybe we're being going this way and that way based of circumstances, not the stability of the Lord. There is security when we base our life on Christ. But through joy in the Lord, Paul was able to write this letter and to preach the gospel because God gave him a promise to do it. And so this was a hard circumstance that Paul was doing. He was um, in prison, and it probably uh, never occurred to him that he'd be writing a letter to the people that he loved about rejoicing. One pastor said about this letter, he said, it shows us that sometimes the hard part of ministry can be the best part of ministry. You ever have those moments in your life? The hard part is sometimes the best part or the most effective part. You know, I think about Redemption Church and how small we've been over the years and yet how much joy God has given us and all the impact and fruit he's had in our lives. And it's been difficult, it's hard, but yet it's some of the best years of my life. I know that many of you have experienced that in hard situations. The Lord can still work. We see God still using Paul and still working in a very difficult, unexpected situation. He's preaching now the gospel, and it shows us just because it's hard doesn't mean it isn't a part of God's will or for your life. It's okay. You can cling to God. You don't have to base your life off circumstances. You can base off someone who is faithful and secure. And so this letter he's writing to is the people of Philippi. They're real people. Philippi was a colony of Rome in Europe. And it was a very well-known, very um, big, industrial, influential city. Uh, Paul planted this church, the first, and this was the first time uh, this church, this was the first church planted in Europe at this time. Um, but it wasn't, again, a part of Paul's plan. Now, I'm not going to read it. You can read it this week for your devotions. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through Acts chapter 16. This is where Paul actually met the church. It was his second missionary journey. He had already been saved, bought, brought into the Lord, matured, gone with Barnabas, and they planted a whole bunch of churches. And he said, hey, Barnabas, let's, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, let's go and strengthen the churches and minister and preach and, and disciple. And so Barnabas, his teammates like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go, let me go get John Mark, my cousin. Let's just go for it. And Paul's like, no, 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 you ain't bringing that sucker. 
Now, it seems a little harsh, but John Mark had abandoned them in their first missionary journey. And so he, Paul was like, he's not faithful. I don't want to do that. And Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He's like, no, I want to restore him and bring him in the ministry. And there was this great tension between those two, and they split. Ministry multiplied, praise God. Because now Barnabas has John Mark. They go this way. Paul and Silas go this way. And so the goal is still to strengthen churches, but it starts off with a big just, eh. it's not a really good start, not really good momentum, but we're going to do it. So then he tries to go to Asia Minor. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 4, the Holy Spirit forbid him. And this is an interesting thing because doesn't the Bible say and the Holy Spirit want us to preach the gospel to all the nations? But he tries to go to Asia Minor. Doesn't happen. Tries to go north. Doesn't happen. So, okay, I'll go south. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 7, it says they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him. Nope. Don't go there either. Dude, what is going on? So Paul would go to Asia Minor the third time on his missionary trip, but this wasn't the right time for him to go. And I think this is an important thing just to pause and ponder and think about. Timing is very important with the Lord. Oftentimes we get frustrated with situations or we pray for something and we're mad because it's not the right time and God's not answering. We have to be patient when serving Jesus. He has his own timing. He even told Paul, hold up, brother. You're not going to go to Asia Minor yet. It's going to be in this season. There are seasons, the Bible says. There are fruitful seasons and dry seasons. There are winter seasons and summer seasons, spring and fall. Even in our nature, we have these things. And oftentimes what we realize is we're living for one season and not the full year or length. We have one child and a baby, and it's so hard, and we just give up when the reality is there will be seasons. There will be teenagers. You will be grandparents. There will be certain seasons in your life, and you need to embrace the season God has for you, or you'll miss out. Because if Paul would have pouted right now, he would have missed out. The church in Philippi would not have been planted. He had a trust. There was a timing. Sort of like we've been going through the COVID season, the, the verse that we memorized in the beginning of this thing, Proverbs 16, 9. Man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Listen, I still believe this church, there is going to be great and amazing things ahead of us. But there is a timing issue. And so we will wait upon the Lord. We will get our strength from him. And we have to trust that he has a plan. He has a plan in your life when it doesn't come through or it's not immediate or how you expect. You see this bumpy road that Paul's dealing with. He's a real minister. He's doing these things. The next thing we see is Paul now gets direction from the Holy Spirit He's walking in God's will because now he has a vision. And this vision is a man from Macedonia, the area of Macedonia. Philippi was the chief city of that area, and it was out west. Now, he comes from the east, Jerusalem, that area. He tries to go north. Nope. Tries to go south. Nope. Where's the only other way you can go? West. Europe. He's just going where God's directing him. And it reminded me of a verse, Psalm 37, 23. It says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways or his way. Sometimes the only option is the right option. It's okay. He, he, he was already from here. He couldn't go there, couldn't go here. So he's going there and God's gonna do that. He's going to open doors that no man can shut and shut some doors that no man can open. This is how God directs his people sometimes. And even when we don't know what's going on, like the Apostle Paul didn't know what was going on, 
God knows. And our role is just to keep trusting and delighting in him and serving him in those moments. We often look to Paul for church planning strategies as this apostle, this leader, this great of faith. But let's be reminded his strategy was just to look to the Lord. We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit just as Paul, which might not make sense at times. And so we see Paul go to this chief city, the city of Philippi. He doesn't see a man. The plan still goes, not as planned. He doesn't see any men. He sees women. You see, the Jewish custom at that day, in order to have a synagogue, a local assembly, uh, they would have to have 10 Jewish males. There was no synagogue. He had a vision of a man, but he doesn't see a man. He sees women, and he ministers to them. And we see that uh, Lydia is one of those people that respond to the gospel. She would be mentioned greater in the faith in the book of Acts and be used by God. Also, Philippians 4.2 implies that there were some other women as well there that were going through a little spout that he addresses that got saved that day as well or were definitely part of the church. So Paul encounters these women at the river, and then he another, encounters another woman. Our lady, more of a female servant, a girl. She's possessed by a, a demon, a demoniac. And God delivers her through the hand of Paul in Jesus' name. And we praise God for that. However, the owners were not praising God for that. They were making a lot of money off of this lady who was demon-possessed and could give some fortune. Because demonic power is real. And the enemy does come and deceive and has spiritual power. And God, Paul opposed that and had victory over that. And so now you're starting to see the gospel come. People's lives are being changed. People are being free. And the next thing is trouble and opposition. It comes up usually when you're following the Lord. The Bible says that we are in a spiritual warfare and there is a fight and a good fight that we faith. And when God is at work, the enemy will attack. And so Paul gets attacked. He gets beaten again. It's one of his marks of being an apostle. Beaten, abused, arrested, thrown in jail. But in prison, here's the trip. He was in prison in Philippi, and they saw this. The church saw this in Philippi. So what you're about to read from Paul is not just some doctrine or some make-believe stuff. He says, I've learned the secret. Because in Acts chapter 16, verse 26, him and Silas are praising the Lord, singing hymns and praising God out loud, rejoicing, doing what they're telling other people to do. And it was a great witness to the prisoners and to the jailer, and the jailer and his whole family get saved. And so here is the beginning in Acts chapter 16 of the church and how it got planted when it went all against Paul's plan, but all for God's plan. It wasn't Paul's intentions to plant a church in Europe or in Philippi, but it was God's intention. Paul had to learn this, and so do we. God is actively working and has a plan. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Are you trusting God when you aren't getting your way? The Bible says that he will make his ways straight. Your way straight. He will make a way even when you can't see it. Our role is to have faith. And God used Philippi, this church, to teach Paul this lesson. See, it was a mutual thing. There was relationship. It wasn't just Paul ministering, like he said in Romans 1.11, but in Romans 1.12, he says, you actually mutually give me a gift as well. We're the body. We're a part of and connected. 
sovereignly connected, God sovereignly connected these, these, this church to him and him to the church. Man, and I'm so glad for divine appointments, aren't you? That God connects people. Don't forget this. God has you even right now in this church for a reason. You have been connected to us for a specific reason, and it's something that God wants to do. God places people in our lives for a specific reason and a purpose, and God is able to do that because he knows exactly what we need. Paul didn't want to plant this church, but he knew exactly what Paul needed. And so he practices his faith out loud, and now he's teaching this doctrine to this church. Paul leaves this church and doesn't see them for years. For years. Because he gets arrested, like we said in Acts chapter 21. He gets shipped off to Rome, where he writes this letter, wanting to, desiring to see them, but he doesn't see them. Now, again, more context. I'm telling him, just doing a deep dive. Prisons were rough back then. They had to provide their prisoners had to provide their own funds, their own food for yourself. We see an example of this when Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 4:13. He would say, When you come, bring the cloak that I left you in Carpus at Troas. Also bring the books and above all the parchments. Bring supplies. I'm in need. I'm in prison. They're not providing these things for me. Paul needed supplies and funds in prison to live. And so the church in Philippi sends this guy, Ephroditus. Epaphrius, sorry, Epaphrius with a gift for Paul to get, get a report and say, man, how are you doing? What's going on? Now, at the end of the chapter four, Paul mentions this gift. Philippians 4.18 says, I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The church was giving the gift unto the Lord to minister to people, to minister to Paul. And they sent Epaphroditus to Rome with this gift. God was providing for Paul's needs through their love offering and it was through people. Don't forget, guys, that we as a church, you as a person are able to love other people through generosity through what the Bible says, your word and your deeds. 1 John 2, 17 through 18 says, but if anyone has world goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in deed, but in deed and in truth. And the church in Philippi is expressing the love of God to Paul with meeting his needs, his real needs. And Paul says that God would meet their needs. The next verse, in verse 19 of chapter 4, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, that's saying it really is true. You can't outgive God. Paul would tell the church in Corinth that it is a blessing to give unto the Lord and to give and live a generous life. He would say, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also Reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We don't give to get, but when we do give unto the Lord as worship, it is accredited to our account. The Bible teaches that, that we store our treasures up in heaven. And this is why Philippians 4.17, in that same context, he would say, not that I seek the gift, Paul's telling them to the church, I don't seek the gift, but the the, the 
but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, store your treasures up in heaven. Like Robin mentioned, we don't pass a plate, tithes and offerings. But we, hopefully I know you, train you and teach you and let you know that the word of God wants you to give unto the Lord as worship to the local church and to other people in your life. You should be living a life of generosity and giving and blessing people. And I want to encourage you to keep being generous in these times. Keep being generous to the ministry, to this church. God has sustained us, and I need to remind myself that people may not know. We are a self-sustained church, meaning this. We only operate by how everyone in this room or people watching or whoever gives finances. We're a non-denominational church. There is no mothership. If people don't give money, we don't have money to do things. So when we buy candy with the church's money, that's your money we're spending to further the gospel and be in the community. Or if we want to operate and have staff, or if we want to buy a camera or rent this room, it costs money, finances. I know it's mind-boggling, but as an organization, we have to actually spend money. And people are always asking me, where does that always come from? Where do you get it from? Do you have to buy a membership? No. We just serve people, and as we serve them, we believe that God they will know God and they will give it unto the Lord and God will credit their account. There's no pressure. You give generously because you love God. And you know what a beautiful gospel witness that is? I mean, non-believers are shocked and I'm a pastor and I'm still shocked. Like, how, how do you guys operate? People just, they really love Jesus and they give to him. That's how we operate. How, did you, how do you have a website and get the word out? Dude, the gospel is really real, and so people give, and we have accountability, and we give a report at the end of the year, but we show everyone how we spend the money, and we try to do our best and have wisdom, and it's just amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And this is what's operating and happening in Philippi. The generosity of this church is a gospel witness to the whole region in that area. And I just think it's important to say this as the pastor. Thank you for your generosity. Whether you be in the room, you come, or you're watching online. We have multiple people giving unto the Lord, and we do our best to have accountability in that and have wisdom in that and do our best to further the gospel and the mission of Jesus Christ here in our church with those funds. And I feel obligated to do that because, honestly, this is what Paul is doing in this letter. And you may not know that if you don't know the history. You see... This isn't a corrective letter from the Apostle Paul like it was to the church in Galatians. It wasn't a corrective letter, you know, with bad doctrine. This letter isn't dealing with bad conduct like 1 Corinthians. This is a thank you letter. This is a love letter from Paul to the people of Philippi saying, thank you so much for your gift. He's a missionary, been sent out, and the church is coming alongside, and they're risking their own lives and partnering with God, with Paul. Look at verse 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Paul said, I thank you every time I think about you. Their lives touched Paul, and their generosity and love benefited him and filled his heart with joy. Go down verse seven, it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are part partakers with me in grace. And so Paul now is writing 
a letter to this church saying, you're dear to my heart. I have affection for you. I'm benefited by your love. This is a mutual thing. We are partners in the gospel. And so they sent Epaphroditus back to them with this epistle. He, they sent Epaphroditus with the money. He writes this letter in prison and he sends Epaphroditus back. Now go to chapter two, verse 25 through 30. I don't know if we have this on the screen, but it's a long section. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has distressed because you heard that he was ill. Apparently, this guy, this worker, was a long travel, was very risky, and he got ill. And indeed, he was ill, Paul says, near death even. But God had mercy on him, and not only to him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him now, therefore, that you may re rejoice at seeing him. This brother, this man of faith, part of your fellowship, that I may be less anxious, so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. Men what? That would risk their life to love people, to serve people. We should outdo one another in honor, the Bible says. For he nearly died, verse 30, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now notice what's happening in the body of Christ through this letter in this situation. The church gives finances and support. They're expressing love in that way. Epaphroditus, he travels and serves with his time and risks his life. He's serving and loving in that way. Paul is now praying for them and writing a letter. He's serving and loving in that way. Have you noticed they all have different gifts and we're using them to serve one another up and to build each other up in the Lord? And this is how the body of Christ or the church should operate. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse four through seven says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And so Paul is using his apostolic gift to write the scripture. And again, the main theme, verse, chapter three, verse one, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. You see, when everyone's using their gifts, we all flourish. We all flourish. And so Paul exhorts this message. In chapter four, verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. He already said finally rejoice, but now he's like emphasizing like, so rejoice again. I mean, always. I mean, just do it, man. He's giving this letter and he's saying rejoicing, be glad. Paul is this example. Paul learned to rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances, situations, and wanted to teach this to the church, not as a simple doctrine, but a way of life. And because it blessed his life, it filled his heart with joy. Now, as you go on in chapter four, verses 12 through 13, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. He's giving testimony to this church. He's saying in many and every circumstance, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. There's a secret. You have to reveal it. You have to find it. What is it? An abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him, speaking of Christ Jesus, who strengthens me, the source of his joy. He's giving them Jesus. He's saying by example, Paul knew the joy of the Lord was his strength. Philippians 1.21, he would say, it is for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He would have this one single focus and he would tell them in Philippians 3.14, so I press on to the upward call or towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. When Paul was living for Christ and he said, for me to live is Christ's gain. I'm just gonna live for him. And he experienced this joy. So the end of the letter, he's saying, you can have this too. When you do these things and when you practice this stuff, I love you guys so much. We're partners in the gospel. Let me bless you. Let me teach you that your mind and the way you think, it matters because you're gonna have some joy and it doesn't matter what the circumstance will be. And Paul not only wanted this for the Philippian church, but for us as well. He would say in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join me in imitating and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Or in another way, he would put it, follow me as I follow Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. This is what we're doing. We're following Christ's example. He's the pattern. Follow us. Paul knew they would have joy as they followed Jesus. But this letter is more than just a letter of joy. Do you see it? It's a thank you letter. It's a real situation. It's historically accurate. And it's more than just about joy. It's about the Christian life. Here's another outline that you can study or think through as you look through the book of Philippians. And we're almost done. But I want to give this to you because I think it's beneficial. Chapter 1, The Marvel of the Christian Life. The marvel of the Christian life. Paul says there's something so special about the Christian life. You could, like the marvel that God loves you and he brings love not only to you but to one another. In verses nine through 11, it says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Never mind, that's chapter three. Chapter one, verse 19. Chapter one is the marvel. Chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, he says, it's a prayer of his, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to glory, to the glory and praise of God. He has his prayer, and I say, I pray that you would abound in love. Do you ever marvel at the love of God? How God has brought not only sinners to be saints, but now we're a family of God and there's relationship. Chapter one talks about the marble of the Christian life. Chapter two, it talks about the model of the Christian life. The model that Jesus is our pattern, that he's our example. He's how we enter into the Christian life through humility. In verses three through five, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only out for his interest, but also the interest of others. Now have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Follow Jesus' example. Marvel at God's love and follow Jesus. Love other people. Be submissive like him. He's the model. In the Christian life, you can look to Jesus. You can exalt Jesus. You can worship Jesus. Have his mind. Live for him. 
Chapter three, it's the motion of the Christian life, or you may say the march, because there's a lot of illustrations of walking in the spirit. Chapter three, verse 12 through 14, he says the best is yet to come. Keep your mind on heavenly things. March forward. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I may make it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He pressed on. He moved forward. God wants you to move forward in your faith to grow, to walk with him and to mature and to look that your citizenship is in heaven and have that affect your life here on earth. Lastly, chapter four, we see the marks of the Christian life. The marks. I know you guys are all mind blown because they all started with M's. You're welcome. It wasn't my outline anyway. Thank you, Skip Heisick. The marks of the Christian life, joy and peace from God. Look at chapter four, verses six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything, worrisome, but in everything and by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And if you have that relationship with God where you can go to him, you have fellowship with him, the fruit will come. Verse seven, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus fruit of the Spirit. We get to have joy, peace, love, gentleness, patience, all these things from walking in the Spirit, and there's marks in the Christian walk. And so Paul writes this letter to real people just like you and me to help them have joy in the Lord. And I'm looking forward to even studying more in this great book. I know it's a lot. It's like I just fire hosed you. We just read a whole bunch of Bible. What were my points? Who knows? It was just so good. It's a lot of scripture. It's okay. We'll get back to the chapter a week, the cute little outline from Warren Wearsby with all of the, you know, M words and S words and those type of things. But I wanted you to get the real sense of what's happening in this book that Paul is writing. Listen to the end of it. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He had an opening as a close. The brothers who are with me greet you. There was people with him that loved those people. All the saints greet you, especially those of the Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. We're a part of something special, not just through the saints of old, but right now. It's the love of God, and we're able to serve him and love him and to rely on his grace. And so let's finish with communion. Let's think about his grace, how he's brought us together. That we can actually join a relationship because he died for our sins and we're not good enough. We're a community of sinners saved by grace. But God loves us and he cares for us. And so every week we come to the table and we offer communion and we ask for you to partake if you are a Christian. Because what you're partaking in is you're saying, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. His body was shed. His body was beaten. His blood was shed for me. I need this person to cover my sin and forgive me. And he rose again, ascended to the Father, and will come again. The Bible says we take communion so we can press forward, 
so we can actually understand and look to him and know that he's coming again. Do it until he comes again. And so we remember his grace, but we look forward to the day he comes and we celebrate right now because he is with us. And the power of the gospel is he brings us together. That we're not only to love him, but we're loved to love one another. And so we say, tell you by faith, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ rose again and you will be saved. And then you walk in the spirit, you be filled with the spirit and you move in the things of the spirit, which is the word of God who inspired the word of God. And we apply this to our lives and we're blessed. And so we're gonna close in communion singing one song that all praises to God, not to our own efforts, not to our own ability, but we're looking to him to be our strength and to be our joy. Amen? God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We pray, Lord, right now as people are processing, thinking, and just responding in worship, that Holy Spirit, you would save. For those that aren't, in the, uh, aren't saved in the room, Lord, that they would stand and they would receive your spirit and grab communion and partake with us. Lord, for those maybe watching online, Lord, that they would be filled with the spirit right now and that you would touch their lives, that you would save. God, we as your people, your beloved, we wanna respond. We realize every day is a gift from you, and so we respond with the gift of grace by worship. Help our hearts to be filled with worship, responding with generosity in our time and our attitudes, using our gifts to build one another up, to serve you, to love you. We thank you for this wonderful book, but we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you not only for the written word, but the living word, Jesus, that you are alive and you minister and you speak. So continue to minister, continue to speak to us, and we worship you as we look to you in the close of our worship service. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.